So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. It's on page 3 of the Bibles in the pews. The verses we're going to focus in are verses 14 and 15. But I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go back and start at verse 1. I'm going to reread the temptation account. And then we'll focus in on 14 and 15. Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And now I'm going to skip down to verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you that not only do you make us alive to trust and believe, but you give us new minds and new hearts so that we may know you and understand you. Father, we thank you that your words are truth, that the Bible is your inspired, infallible, true word. Father, we pray that you will guide us in this time through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would have wisdom and discernment, that we would know your Son, Jesus Christ, all the more, and give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. We see here the first mention of the gospel. So here it is. We've only made it to Genesis 3, and we have the gospel. And whenever you come to this point in Genesis 3, 
I have some question with concerns and interest in that and say this. For some people, there is a real problem that they have with God. And this is the problem that some people expressed with me that they have with God. And their problem is this. If God was truly loving, if God was truly good, if God was kind, then why, why would he allow anyone to face his judgment forever and ever? And that's the question I get at times. And I take people through the scriptures and walk them through and try to explain who God is and his holiness and justice and his love and his grace. But for me, that's, that's not the question that I have or I face when I come to this point in the story. When I understand, when you see Genesis 1 and 2, it's depicted as God, he is the creator. He's made everything from nothing. And he's created out of his own love, out of his own grace, out of his own kindness. He creates so that he would give, get all the glory, praise, and honor. The question that I am always struck with is how is it that God would show so much grace and care and concern for Adam and Eve? I ask the opposite question. I'm amazed because what Adam and Eve has just done is they rebelled against God. They said, God, we prefer to go our own way. God, we prefer to listen to the serpent, the devil. God, we prefer to live as we want to live, regardless of what you have said or what you have done. Complete and absolute rebellion. This is amazing. Amazing situation. So to me, when I get to this point in Genesis 3, I'm amazed how loving and how gracious God is. And we're going to see this because here, as God starts rendering his judgments, first, this Sunday, we're looking at just 14 and 15, where God renders his judgments to the devil. And then, Lord willing, the next two Sundays, we'll look at God rendering his judgments uh, to Eve and then rendering his judgments to Adam. I'm amazed by the grace that God shows. And what's interesting is this. We understand throughout the rest of the Scripture who this servant serpent is, who this snake is. This is the devil. The devil comes and takes the form of an animal, the animal being a serpent. He takes this form, but we have in Scripture a description of what happened before the devil comes and does this. In Luke 10, we see where Jesus speaks about this. Luke 10, starting at verse 18, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning, from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions 
and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So there we see Jesus coming and teaching that he is ultimately the one who will crush the serpent's head. But here we see Satan, his fall, his rebellion, and then we see it even more clearly in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, starting at verse 9, we see in the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, kicked out of heaven for his rebellion, and his angels were thrown down with him. About a third of the angels. So we see where the devil and a third of the angels are kicked out of heaven and they come down to earth and there is no hope for them. There is no grace for the devil and the fallen angels. There is no gospel for the devil and the fallen angels. There is no opportunity for repentance and salvation for the devil and his angels. So this is what is understood. So the devil comes, and he comes to this earth, as we've looked at in Genesis 1 and 2, and he's already taken a third of the angels with him. So now here is his opportunity to lead another rebellion, but this time with all of humanity. As we see here, there's only one man and one woman. This is Adam and Eve. So if the devil can tempt and deceive and cause Adam and Eve to fall, then he's won. Yes, he was kicked out of heaven. Yes, he only has a third of the angels with him. But if he can cause Adam and Eve to choose him over God, then you can see in his mind, in his twisted, lying, murderous nature, if he can do that, then he has all of humanity in his control, in his power. So you can see the motivation and what the devil is trying to do here. So what's powerful is this, is God comes to the serpent. And as we're going to look at in verses 14 and 15, he makes clear some very important things. First of all, the devil can do nothing outside of the power, control, and allowance of God. God is sovereign. So there's nothing the devil can do that God does not allow him to do. You see that in the story of Job. The devil comes accusing and slandering, God says you can go to this point and no further. Again, you can go to this point and no further. And the devil is absolutely bound by those boundaries and lines drawn by God and his power and sovereignty. So we're going to see that is true. That is true. We're also going to see that God, rather than dealing with Adam and Eve, as he dealt with the devil and the fallen angels, the whole purpose of creation has to do with the book of the Lamb who was slain 
before the foundation of the earth. The Lamb, the Son of God, the one who will be bruised, who will die on behalf of God's people, yet he will live and have the victory that the devil will be crushed and defeated. So these are these main themes we see woven together. But again, here's the foundation. Here's the understanding. So if we look at verse 14, verse 14, the Lord judges the serpent. The Lord judges the serpent, as verse 14 says. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Now we understand that because of the fall of Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God, sin enters in. Corruption enters in. We see this not only for all the descents of Adam and Eve, but for all of creation. We see where sin and corruption Pain and suffering, disease and death, war and conflict, all these things originate because of this moment. So we see where sin comes in, harm and destruction comes in. All the animals are affected by this, but God singles out the snake. The snake. Now remember what a snake is. A snake is an animal. It is a created animal but the devil came and took on the form of this animal so god is using this animal as a representation as a teaching and as an expression of his victory so that's why god singles out the snake he curses the snake in a way that he doesn't any other animal all animals experience the results of sin and the fall but this one animal is singled out. And that's where we see that curse explained. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. All the days of your life. As I said earlier in a children's moment, this is a great example of God displaying his victory. In Isaiah 56, 25, even where it speaks of a future time where God will bring peace and restoration, we still see the serpent represented as an example of God's victory over the devil. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains. We see this again, Micah 7, when it talks about God rendering his judgment. Micah seven sixteen. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth, They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God. And they shall be in fear of you. 
This is amazing because still to this day, every time you see a snake, an image of a snake, a picture of a snake, a snake in real life, it is to remind you of this very fact. And we need reminder of that. Because when we see our own lives, where we see the pains and turmoils of our own struggles with temptation and falling and disobedience to God, we see the work, the ongoing work of the devil in our lives. At times we, we feel powerless. We see the world around us, warfare, conflict, struggle, all these things that we see the work of the devil bringing divisions and false things and destruction and harm. And we can seem like we are powerless. But God is making it very clear here that he is all powerful. And for all those who are in him, in his son, Jesus Christ, we have the victory in Jesus Christ. And that's why, though the devil continues to prowl around like a roaring lion, he's toothless for Christians. One of my favorite expressions is from Dr. John Piper. He talks about this. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's roaring, but he's... At best, he can come and gum you to death. He's toothless. So that's why it says you resist him and he will flee from you because he is still pictured as that snake on his belly in the dust. God is victorious. And that's where we understand. So this is this image. Now remember the snake. What did the snake do? This is the work of the devil. But still, God is going to use the snake in this way to teach this very clear truth and remind us of that again and again and again. We see as he continues on in Genesis, Genesis 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's it. That's the gospel message. Here's what we understand. This speaks of the cross. This speaks of God's grace. This speaks of God doing what we cannot do. Isn't it amazing how it goes from the plural to the singular? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her. Her offs I mean, between your offspring and her offspring, he. That's the key, is the shift to the he. But first, if we go back to verse 15, we first look at this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Enmity, enmity. There will be, there will be, a disgust of the woman and her descendants for you. There will, be, there will be a dislike. There will be a distrust. This is very important because, as I said before, the devil, he rebelled. He was cast down out of heaven. 
He brought a third of his angels. And here he may think that he has won the victory over all humanity. But God's making clear here that he is doing something that is a work of grace. He is doing something that's a work of mercy for Adam and Eve and all their descendants. So first he puts this enmity, this division between humanity and the devil. Now, of course, we see where the devil tempts and people fall to the temptation. We see the works of the devil. We see in the scriptures where the devil is described as the the God of this world, where the devil is lifted up as the one who blinds people from seeing the gospel. The devil does all these things to tempt and try to kill, steal, and destroy. That's all the devil knows how to do. Lie, murder, kill, steal, and destroy. So that's his purpose. That's his plan. That's his motivation. Yet God is putting an enmity between the offspring of Adam and Eve and the devil, which points us ultimately to the victory he's going to display in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what's ultimately lifted up at the end of verse 15. He just talked about the woman and her offspring, plural. And then he shifts to the he, singular. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is it. God has made clear from the very beginning, from just after the fall, just after the devil may perceive that he has won the victory, that he is all-powerful over humanity, God has at that moment, through his judgment, speaking this curse, made very clear that the devil will be defeated. His power over people will come to an end. That humanity, descendants of Adam and Eve, can, through God's grace and mercy, have new hearts, have new lives, have forgiveness, and be made right with God. That there is a gospel for the descendants of Adam and Eve. Just as in Adam, all sin, all die in Jesus Christ, all who believe in him and trust in him can have life, forgiveness, and grace. This is something that's beyond our full comprehension. But as we look throughout Scripture, Scriptures keep coming back to Genesis 3. They keep coming back to this proclamation of the gospel and illustrating what it means for each and every one of us. And the main passage I take us to, just to help us better understand this, is 1 John 3. If you'd like to turn to 1 John 3, starting at verse 5. So here we see the work. Jesus, his heel will be bruised. We understand this. Philippians 2 best describes that where Jesus comes 
There is no one else who has been so high. Remember, Jesus Christ is a member of the Trinity. He is God. So Jesus was God. Remember, we understand the Trinity. One God, three persons. Jesus is a member of the Trinity. So he's eternal God, eternally begotten Son of the Father. So Jesus so empties himself, he comes. He's born of Mary, the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman. He's come and he's born from her, so that fulfills verse 15. He lives his life. He is persecuted. He is mocked. He is crucified. After being beaten, he is pierced. He is crushed. Though he was perfect, though he is without sin, he dies on the cross. If that was the end of the story, then it would be He shall bruise your heel and you shall crush his head to the serpent. But that isn't the curse of the serpent. The curse of the serpent, the devil, was this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even though Jesus dies on the cross, what happens in three days? What happens? He's raised from the dead. He's alive. That's the bruising of the heel of Jesus Christ. Yes, he went to death. He bore our sins. He bears the wrath of God, but he's raised to new life. He is alive. So his heel is bruised, but he lives forever with those same scars in his wrists, in his feet, where the spear pierced his side. He is bruised, but he lives. But what happens to the devil? His head is crushed. And for everyone who is in Jesus Christ, who has believed in him, they are freed from that tyranny of the devil. They are freed from the power and control of the devil. They are freed from sin. They are freed from the devil. And they are freed from the world. Our three great enemies. Our fallen flesh, the devil, and the world. Ephesians 2 talks about that. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Remember what the, one of the devil's names, he's Satan, he's the, he's the slander, he's the accuser. He's the accuser. Jesus said something to Peter. Jesus told Peter, the devil wants to shift you like wheat. 
He wants to divide out his faith from him. So we see where Peter is going to go through this time. Three times Peter denies Jesus Christ. Peter betrays Jesus Christ. But before this happens, Peter reminds him, the devil wants to destroy you. He wants to have you. But I'm praying for you. You will build my church. He will come through because of God's grace and goodness. This is the work of the devil. This is how the devil still thinks he has a claim over you. Is this. Just as we saw through the high priest in the Old Testament, just as we saw with Job, you can see this image of the devil. And the devil comes before God for each and every one of us and says, you can't save this person. They've rebelled against you just like I have. They've sinned. (laughs) They sin now. They will sin. You can't forgive them. You can't show them grace. You can't show them mercy. That's what the devil does. He accuses. He slanders. And sometimes those words get into our minds, our hearts, even as believers. You can't, you can't really think that you're saved. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've said. Look at the sin you continue to struggle with. You don't think that you're saved. You face judgment. You face wrath just like I do. The devil accuses. He accuses. He accuses. But that's why the gospel that's spoken in Genesis 3, verse 15, is the gospel spoken in the scriptures. In the gospel I speak to you now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you trust Him, if you know that He is your Lord and Savior, you are saved you are forgiven the devil is defeated walk in the new life given in the holy spirit walk in assurance walk in rejoicing because god has done a good and mighty work in your life Romans 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Talking about Adam again. So one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Genesis 15 says. He, Jesus Christ, will crush the head of the serpent. And he will do this by allowing himself to be beaten, mocked, and crucified. But he will live again. This is the gospel. This is all the gospel we have. Because this is the Scriptures. This is why we understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
to God's glory alone. It's all here in Genesis 3.15. So that's my hope and encouragement for each and every one of you. That we will remember. We will remember that because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve and each and every one of us, we're under condemnation. But if we are in Jesus Christ, if we believe in Him and trust Him with our life, we are no longer under condemnation. And at that point, it doesn't matter what the devil may say, what the devil may do, that in Jesus Christ we have life, love, forgiveness, and grace. We are forgiven. Forgiven. Genesis 3.15 speaks of our assurance. Our assurance. Because ultimately, just as Adam and Eve has failed, we know that each and every one of us has failed. There is nothing we can say, do, or desire that will make us right with God. No, it takes the He, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in Him we trust. Revelation 20 speaks of the ultimate defeat of the devil when his head is once and for all crushed. Revelation 20, starting at verse 2. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then you have the descriptions of Armageddon and and the battle and different things. And then Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the death, second death, the lake of fire. That is the destination of the devil, the demonic. That's the destination of all those who had continued to trust and believe in the lies and deceptions of the devil. But that is not the eternal destination for those who are in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have been set Remember Jesus said, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But why did Jesus come? That you may have life in full abundance. New life. True life. Life with God's love and forgiveness and grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you that you lift up your gospel. Even in Genesis chapter 3, even in the midst of us hearing the just judgments due to sin, you speak your grace. Father, we thank you that you display yourself as a God of grace and love and mercy and kindness. Father, we thank you that in your holiness and in your justice, you would make a way in the cross of your son, Jesus Christ, that his heel would be bruised, that he would die, but that he would live. And because of that, we can have eternal life. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.